This program is a proud member of Univaz. Unified, unique, voices. Learn more at univazpods.net. Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! Again, my beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens. It's the podcast where horror gets gay. This is episode 330, and tonight I'm taking you on a trip back in time to the decade where polyester reigned supreme. We are talking about Curtis Harrington's made-for-TV 1973 opus, The Cat Creature. And since Halloween's almost here, spooky season is upon us, I'm going to make your spooky season even spookier because now it's not just spooky season it's uncle spooky season my very special guest is new york horror host uncle spooky he's very very dead he's very very blue and he's very very funny and he's very very here with us tonight but before we do any of that please allow me to introduce myself my name is patrick walsh and ever since 2010 i've been your guide through the weird and wonderful world of horror movies but you're gonna have to see them through my very 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 gay little eyes he has the gayest eyes liza minnelli's eyes so this episode of scream queens is actually an episode of it came from the 70s which is one of the podcasts that are exclusively available to my patreon subscribers but as an extra special little halloween treat i'm gonna let you peek behind my paywall now if you don't know what patreon is it's a subscriber service that lets listeners who really love the show help support the show but it also gives me a little wiggle room to test things out on an audience of superfans to workshop some ideas that I have. For instance, the show you're about to hear, it came from the 70s. Every time I would cover a made-for-TV movie from the 70s here on Scream Queens, I would get a massive amount of response from it, a positive response. I'd get tons of messages saying, I love these vintage TV episodes. We'd love more of these. So I said, hmm, why don't I try something out? Why don't I Narrow my usual focus, take my niche within a niche podcast idea, and then put another niche on top of it and test out a show that's exclusively about made-for-TV horror movies from the 1970s. And let's see if it works. Without Patreon, I would have to start a whole new podcast and not just be testing things out. You know, I'd have to go through all the expense of getting a feed and getting a new podcast host and blah, 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 adding all these little unsexy behind-the-scenes things. If it succeeds, great. But if it flops, I'm just another pod fader. You don't want me to pod fade, do you? And of course you don't. I launched... It came from the 70s over the summer. It's a slightly different style than Scream Queens, not just in topic, but in tone. You're also probably ready for me to stop yapping and start the show. And you know what? You're absolutely right. But hey, before we go, I just want to tell you that if you have not seen the 1973 made for TV opus, The Cat Creature, it is available on YouTube. And here's why you should watch it. A, Uncle Spooky and I are going to have to spoil the shit out of it. It's just the way it is. B, it's written by Robert Block. That's awesome. The same guy who wrote Psycho. C, it was directed by Curtis Harrington, an out gay Hollywood director of the 1970s. The same guy who brought us the super queer queen of blood. Remember that? Well, he back and he fabulous. D, I'm 99% sure Stephen King was influenced by this movie. And E, I said so, okay? So go watch it on YouTube. There's a link down there in the show notes. And I hope you like it. I'm going to shut up. Otherwise, you're going to miss your plane. What plane? You'll find out. Enjoy it came from the 70s. Enjoy the cat creature and enjoy Uncle Spooky. I'll see you when you get back.
Attention, please. This is the final boarding call for Polyester Airlines flight to the 1970s, departing from Alberto Gate VO5. Get ready for thrills, chills, and another episode of It Came from the 70s. Good evening, passengers. This is your captain, Patrick Walsh, speaking. I'd like to thank you for choosing Polyester Airlines. We are the only time-traveling airline that breaks the laws of physics just so you can watch TV. I would like to welcome you aboard Polyester Airlines Flight 1211 to the year 1973. That's the year Vicki Lawrence made the lights go out in Georgia. Linda Blair had her first date with Pazuzu and plop, plop, fizz, fuzz, Oh, what a relief it was. Our final destination tonight is December 11th, 1973. The weather is expected to be arid and dry with a 50% chance of hairballs because December 11th, 1973 was the day The Cat Creature premiered as the ABC movie of the week. I would like to take a moment to introduce you to my co-pilot for this evening. He is a New York City area horror host, fresh office, sold out engagement at Fire Island's glamorous Ice Palace. He is a performer who always works blue because he is actually blue. He is delightful. He is delicious. He is deceased. Say hello to your co-pilot, Uncle Spooky. Thanks for having me. Welcome aboard, Uncle Spooky. Very excited to be here. You're looking very dapper in your pilot's cap. Thank you. I'm glad it went with my tuxedo. One quick question for you, Uncle Spooky. Um, Have you ever flown a plane before? You know, no. Oh, my God, uh, me neither. We're like total twins. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. We might be screwed. What's this button do? <laughs> I, I was a little concerned when you got on. I thought we were having a decrease in cavern pressure because, oh, y'all can't see it, but Uncle Spooky's kind of blue. Yes, yes, it's true. I'm, in fact, blue. But then I remembered that's because you're dead. You know, it's funny. When you die, you turn all sorts of beautiful colors. You'll see. <laughs> but Uncle Spooky specials, he got to pick his favorite. <laughs> mm-hmm. He knows people at the top and at the bottom, if you know what I mean. So, Uncle Spooky, it's your first time hanging out with me. Please tell the folks at home, who the fuck are you? What do you do? So my name is Uncle Spooky, Uncle with a K. A lot of people ask why, and I like to tell them, because it looks cool and sounds the same. And uh, a long-standing love of horror uh, since a little kid. TV movies, I would believe, would be the entrance drug I had. And uh, like uh, hosting horror movies, like hosting a little horror bingo, blood bingo, I call it. Uh, being around mixed company. I don't know. I like to be out and about. You just spent the summer on Fire Island doing your horror hosting thing. That's pretty awesome. Oh my God. I just had the best one ever too. Like it's, it's a little hit and miss out there because it's a Wednesday night. So you don't know who's going to be out there. But uh, my last one, I showed uh, Uncle Peckerhead. Oh my God. Are you two related? Uh, you know, his was his, his you're both his uncles. Oh, ew. Okay, ew. So basic. So Sometimes basic. Great so movie, though. I know. Great movie, though. But he was, but the movie's great. Nobody's ever heard of it before. So I was kind of surprised when, like, it was the most people ever showed up for this thing. It's got Peckerhead in the name, and you're in Cherry Grove. 
Uncle Spooky. Come on now. <laughs> I could go for or against it, you know, with this crowd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, her. <laughs> but the actor who played him, uh, David Littleton, was there, and he was great. What? Really? Yeah. He said, like We kind of talked about in the beginning of the summer, worked out a date. He, he used to live out there. And uh, he's so good in this movie. He's Sometimes he's super creepy, and other times you just want to give him a hug. Utterly charming, but mm. do not trust Uncle Peckerhead. But we're not here to talk about Uncle Peckerhead. We're here to talk about the 1973 made-for-TV opus, The Cat Creature. <sighs> do you have any memories of this one the first time around? Back, you know what? Back in the day? My first memory of this was when I watched it three days ago. Oh, For the first okay. time, I've never seen this one. Somehow, uh, I just missed it. I don't know how, because I was a big horror TV guy. I was I was only a wee waif at the time. It would have been too young for me, and I don't think it got a lot of replay. No, it sure I would have jumped all over this. Yes. It would have been perfect for late-night TV. Absolutely, especially in the 70s. The 70s when Egyptology was the rage. <laughs> King Tut mania was sweeping the nation. This would have been a gangbuster rating. Thing. Agreed. I had not seen it before either. I saw it last summer. I said, this movie's great. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about some of the people behind the scenes. It was directed by Curtis Harrington. Now, you folks, we've met Curtis Harrington before. Curtis Harrington, out-gay Hollywood director. Oh, and it shows in this movie. I didn't, You know what? I'm going to pretend that I knew that before because I've covered his movie Queen of Blood twice. Wow. Which is a great movie for one of your screenings because it's, you know, an outer space thing. They pick up an alien. I'm writing it basically, who's, She's basically a drag queen who I fucks everybody to death. So it feels really gay without being really gay. So I was not surprised to find out that Curtis Harrington himself was queer. Queen of Blood. Yeah, Queen of Blood. He also did a Night Tide with Dennis Hopper, Ruby with um uh Piper Laurie. Ruby. Who slew Annie Rue? Oh wow. What's the matter with Helen? <laughs> <laughs> he locked into this like that 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 fabulous hag horror era and he made his name in it. Um for TV movies he did How Awful About Alan, The Killer Bees, The Dead Don't Die, and Devil Dog Hounds of Hell. Wow. We, that was, we just covered that last time. So we're doing the Curtis Harrington oeuvre for a bit. And I didn't do that on purpose because I just figured a good follow-up for Devil Dog Hound of Hell would be the cat creature. Mm, I never saw a Devil Dog. How's that one hold up? People are mixed on it. I got a kick out of it. I've just You know what? You'll have to listen to the episode and find out, okay? okay. I cannot rehash the entire episode just because I have a celebrity <laughs> guest on. Okay, okay. Kim Richards, um, so, is she worth it? She's eight years old and on Quaaludes. It's amazing. It's amazing. We're not talking about the movie. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> The screenplay was written by none other than Robert Block of Psycho fame. Amazing. Yeah, uh, also did Straight Jacket with John Crawford, Deadly Bees, The House That Drip Blood, The Dead Don't Die. So, yeah, he, him and Curtis Harrington worked together a few times. What I think is fun about this movie, too, is that a couple of things. First of all, I hope they never restore it from the YouTube print uh. that's out there now because the film looks filthy. <laughs> <laughs> Initially, I said, this entire movie looks like it's been soaked in tea. And then I went, no, it's reminding me of some, something else. And I said, oh, it reminds me of my Aunt Ruthie's teeth. <laughs> Aunt Ruthie, three pack a day. <laughs> Yikes. No, and it fits because it's the 70s. Everybody's smoking. Everything's earth tone. So it oh. just needs another brown layer on everything. <laughs> it's fabulous. I have to say, the only one who looks good in this is uh, Meredith. Oh, and by the way, I should mention, yeah, Meredith Baxter, I'm sorry, Meredith Baxter mm -hmm. is in this. 
Meredith Baxter, who, by the way, came out as queer just a few years ago. So yay for her. Right on, Meredith. Early. Future Meredith Baxter Bernie of uh, Family Ties, most famously. But back in that day, she was on Family with Christy McNichol, which I never got to see because the church said it was dirty. <laughs> was. I don't know. It was filthy. It was one of those families. Uh, and she was in the sequel to Willard, Ben. Oh. Oh, and, and for, for, for odd things, she also was in the TV movie The Rape of Richard Beck. Oh, that's where her husband fun. gets raped by a man. Yeah, 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 yeah. What is that? Uh, was that in the seventies? Are you going to cover that yeah, one? Probably at some point. Probably at some point. And it was with the, the guy. I just forgot his name. Whoever was the dad in Devil Dog Hannibal got raped. Nobody get Richard Crenna. He he gets raped. He gets raped. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for like a Burke Den- uh, Dirk Benedict excuse me sir could you rape someone else please thank you Never mind. <laughs> you you can do better this is terrible this is terrible we are offending everyone we just started I'm a little doable, just saying. so she's the big star of it and she's the new girl in town but we'll come back to that uncle spooky since you are my co-pilot and my guest please give me like a quick plot summary of the cat creature no spoilers but just the basic lay down what's going on a mysterious amulet switches hands and each person gets killed by a strange cat creature meowing little black cat and the mystery turns who's got it why is it there it's an egyptian rubik's cube and uh it's a cop movie it's a mystery brilliant run it up i'm sold (laughs) Start selling commercials. Yeah, it's basically it. There's a, a mysterious amulet gets stolen from a sarcophagus from a rich dude's house. And now everyone who, who comes in contact with it gets murdered by some cat. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uncle Spooky, I will bet you five American dollars that this movie was somehow an inspiration for Stephen King's movie Sleepwalkers. No. No, I will bet. I will take that bet, which I've never seen that movie, but there's no way. Oh, see, this is okay. <laughs> Uncle Spooky, Uncle Spooky. I want to have Uncle Spooky on the main show, but here's the thing I love about Uncle Spooky. I've only got to see him live once and seeing you live was an entirely different experience than hanging out in your Tuesday night movie watch parties. Pretty much. Because <laughs> you're in control. You're in charge on, on, on when you're live. And I'm like, wow, this is a whole different character that I'm seeing here. And the whole vibe is different. On his Tuesday night watch parties, it's always shit he hasn't seen. So I have no idea what you like. <laughs> I don't know what to pair you with. So I figured the 70s thing was safe. That's why you're on It was this. really good. I mean, it, it was the kind of the, because we were talking about watching uh, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. And I was all in for that one. And then uh, you kind of cat creatured me at the last minute. And I was. I couldn't uh, find it. I can't find it. I know. Doesn't that <laughs> suck? That's terrible. Yeah. I blame that uh, Gertrude Gamacho guy. Yeah, I hate her. I hate her. Yeah, well, I could buy it, but you know what? I'm not made of money. Anyway, this movie. One of the things I do enjoy about it is that since Curtis Harrington comes from film, like he wasn't working exclusively in TV, parts of it actually feel like a movie, particularly in this opening scene. Mm hmm. That opening scene is great. And and you know who that guy was, right? I sure do. Tell us, who's this lawyer that's about to meet his unfortunate end? Uh, I didn't write down his name. Oh, Kurt You are the Smith. worst. You are the Kent worst. Smith. You're <laughs> Kent Smith, am I right? Kent, Kent Smith, Smith was in the original Cat People 30 years before. And, he, he, you know, for an old guy, he's kind of holding up. Yeah, he's looking nice. Yeah, he's looking hot in this. He said he was really thrilled to do this. It's good to put a button on Cat People. It's like, it, may, it makes sense. This, this, this puts circle. a button. Full circle. Yeah. Since this movie was actually written as a salute. It was it was inspired by cat people. Yes, so. and you see that all over with the little cat silhouettes. Yes, yes, spooky kitties. Oh, so we are we not? So are we not doing spoilers on this? I'm holding them for a bit. 
Okay, well, hold them I'm back gonna, on the spoilers. Because I know everyone's going to be shocked. <laughs> oh, re- by the way, since we brought up Meredith Baxter, I have to say that there was one other celebrity in the movie, and that's Meredith Baxter's wig, which a lot of people don't know, went on to star as Jamie Lee Curtis's wig in Halloween 2. Wow. I, you know, I wrote that in my notes. Is that a wig? <laughs> that's such a wig. It's such, such a wig. Such a wig. Because she's blonde. She's blonde, and they wanted to make her look more exotic, so they made her auburn. So do you know who was originally supposed to play that part? Of course I do. It's my job. Patty Duke. No. That's not what I heard. No, uh, you're right. You're right. You're right. There is someone else who came first. Please tell us. Diane Carroll. Diane Carroll. And she got, and the whole thing was written for her. So uh, when she dropped out, they had to add a couple of writers in and, you know, reconfigure it a little bit, which I think she would have been amazing. She would have been amazing. But the, the thing was, once this movie got greenlit, ABC, excuse me, was pushing for Patty Duke. Really? You know, I don't know how it would have worked out with the relationship with the Egyptian guy and back in the K- day. Yeah, Curtis Harrington was like, absolutely not her. She's 100% wrong. And plus, if I cast her, I also have to find a role for her identical cousin. It's just going to be confusing. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Two sisters. A hot dog makes her lose control, Uncle Spooky. She cannot be trusted on set. <laughs> She's only human. <laughs> is she though? Or is she a cat? Nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Okay. So what's happening in this opening scene? So it's, it's uh, you know, it's a, one of those great 70 TV movie setups where they really savor the house. They, they just kind of do the slow outside, look at the house. And it's always a creepy, amazing kind of LA-ish kind of mansion. Time. Hold that thought. This mansion is actually super famous. This mansion is the Castillo de Lago, which was once the home of huge mob boss Bugsy Siegel. It is a landmark that was bought by Madonna in 1993. Ooh. And her her stupid brother, Christopher, who thinks he's a designer, redid the whole thing, changing it from Spanish colonial to something called Italiate. And all the neighbors freaked out and were like, they, she's ruined the house. She's ruined the house. And then eventually decided she decided that it was haunted. So she moved. And now Moby lives there. Moby lives there. Did he, is it still Madonna's brother screwed it up or did he put it back to its original? It was immediately restored. And now it's a landmark. So nobody could ever do that again. Uh. Way to go, Madge. <laughs> okay. So we're in this castle. What's happening? Uh, this Kent Smith is uh, looking up some, uh, what do you call that thing? We uh, catalog and a bunch of stuff, and he's talking into a super 70s cassette player, making notes. Wait, 17 pounds, yes. 17. <laughs> this thing is a gigantosaurus. Now, I've completed the inventory of the first and second floors, and now I'm ready to tackle that secret collection you said he spent so much money on. And uh, so he's looking around and he uh, he does this nice little walk through the house where he goes up a flight of stairs, down a flight of stairs, through a hallway. They love, they love to do that in the 70s. And he gets to this Egyptian room where it's like all this great stuff. And he goes right for this mummy case with a woman on it. Very womanly mummy looking case. Chisels it open. <laughs> they just didn't really. Like you do. Like <laughs> you do. Your- I'm <laughs> not worried about air or anything. When you're cataloging the estate, you're like, you know what? I'm going to chisel this ancient artifact open. But you know what? If he didn't do it, the movie won't happen. I'm going to start here. Cracks it open. And there it is. Uh, I thought it was a monkey looking kind of mummy. I thought it was Linda Hunt. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because it's sick. It, it's a great day. It's a great skeleton prop that's in there this mummy prop that's in there because it's like two feet short too short oh yeah 
for the for the sarcophagus, which I said that makes sense. It would shrink. You know, on second viewing too, I think maybe it had whiskers. I might be wrong. It's a cat. Of course it is. It's a cat creature. Of course it has whiskers. <laughs> With this really chunky amulet. It's solid gold, Uncle Spooky. <laughs> emerald eyes. <laughs> this is amulet of a cat said that everyone keeps talking about how how gorgeous it is and that it's solid gold. I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm. That's from pottery class. Mm-mm. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. But, but Okay. I bring this up every time, but I'll just have to say it again for those of you who are new. The made-for-TV movies of the 1970s were always made on the quick and on the super cheap. They didn't want to spend any money on nothing. So it was every, everybody they already had on contract and wouldn't have to pay extra. And anything they had to make was, like, pulled from props or made as quickly as possible. And this shows. This is what this, this, this really is ridiculous. But it's magical. It's magical. The magic is on the inside. Yes, I will agree. Don't judge an amulet by its cover. And by the way, you can buy the amulet in the Joan Rivers collection on QVC right now. True story. But... <laughs> <laughs> That's what got her. <laughs> and then he, then he gets attacked. Oh no! You know who comes in? Um, what's uh, my favorite son? Key Luke from uh, Jackie Chan. Key Luke, legendary Asian American actor. Key Luke. Look at the workmanship. A valuable antique. Solid gold. Those jeweled eyes. Emeralds. Huge career went all the way back to the Charlie Chan movies. Was in the was the shopkeeper from Gremlins, who was uh, Gizmo's real daddy, and one of the few Asian actors working in the 30s who actually got jobs that were leads. He would actually be described in this movie as Oriental. Mm. Can you describe this man? Middle aged, Oriental, Chinese, I'd say. It was 1973. We didn't know no better. Yeah, you can get in. It was a different world. Different world. She didn't mean anything about and it. It's Gail Sundergaard. You don't correct her. We'll come back to her. So Hini sneaks in, knows just where to go, beelines right for the cat coffin, takes off the amulet, and makes off with it. Then old uh, Kent Smith wanders back into the room and uh, gets attacked. You know, it, it doesn't make sense at the time, but you know, if you keep pieces together later, but it doesn't really matter. Like, what's Key Luke doing there? How did he know that this was happening? Whatever. But he act, he actually went. Yes, that was a hole. He was the group. No, it's not really, because he's the he was the groundskeeper there. They mentioned that later. So, yes, yeah, and he just happened to be there when this guy was there. He was like, I'm just, oh, it's open. I'm going to take this and go. Whatever. He's an opportunity statistic. So he knew. He knew. He's a part-time gardener, full-time wino, as the detective says. <laughs> but what I love about this is this moment of sanity that you often don't get in these movies is that, okay, this guy's supposed to be cataloging the estate of this dead billionaire, and he finds all this Egyptian stuff, and he opens his sarcophagus, and as Uncle Spooky says, he fucks off to another room and leaves it open. To go to it, back to his tape recorder be like, look... I am not equipped for this. I have no idea how much any of this stuff costs. It's a fucking museum yes. in there. You need to get a special in this. Why am I here? Right, I'm in the cellar now. Fantastic. This place is really like a, a tomb and a pyramid. I couldn't possibly estimate the value of all this stuff. It would take a, an expert in Egyptology to do that. Well, you know that mummy case you said arrived just before he died? You never looked inside, did you? Well, there's something in there. I want to get a full description on tape right away for the insurance company. There's a mummy with a gold amulet around its neck with the face of a cat and emeralds for eyes. You wouldn't believe it unless you saw it with your own eyes. Fuck this. <laughs> Fuck all y'all. I'm going home. But before maybe, before he goes, maybe I should close this. And he goes in and like the stuff. So now it's not just the amulet that's been stolen. The mummy's gone. 
The mummy is gone, not in the sarcophagus. And there's some weird meowing sounds coming at him. We start with the big cat silhouettes yet? Yeah. We yeah, they, they, yeah this, this is our first cat silhouette. Yeah, we see that, that we, we don't see the cat until the next scene. Yeah. Oh, and that cat. And it rips his throat out and he dies and he's dead. <laughs> so they tell so us. So he tells. And it's I've heard a lot of people complain, younger folk, they're like, it's so stupid. This cat is supposed to be ripping people's throats out and you don't see anything. It's TV in 1973, okay? Yeah. There's only so mm-hmm. much we can do. You got to use your imagination, kids. Yeah. So now we're off to the sorcerer's shop and where we meet its owner, Hester Black. I'm Hester Black. <laughs> Sounds like a witch, doesn't it? <laughs> Hester Black, who delivers all of the lines like this. So I love her immediately. And it's Gail Sundergaard, Hollywood legend Gail Sundergaard. I love her. Gail Sundergaard made a career out of playing sinister lesbian characters in the 30s and 40s. And it's exactly what she's doing here. Fun fact about this movie is that Curtis Harrington wanted her to be playing yet another sinister lesbian. He wanted her to be an out lesbian and hitting on that dead girl, dead, dead meat girl. I, I totally picked up on that. One thousand percent. It's in my notes. The network said no. So he, he left all of it in. He's like, we're just going to leave it all in, but we're just not going to say the word because they don't want to hear the word. So we're just going to play everything the same. So she totally comes off as his aging wannabe sugar mama. Uh, 100%. <laughs> and it's, it's great. Relax. Our working day is over. You're right. I'm going home. Well, what's the rush? Aren't we going off for a bite to eat? I'm tired. Uh, I presume you have a date tonight. No. And I don't have any bread either. In case you forgot, it's payday. Oh, but of course. I believe she is the star of this movie. Oh, she's so good. She she knows exactly what movie she's in. Mm. And she's having a ball. She's great. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, she actually won an Oscar in 1936 for uh, Anthony Adverse. She was nominated for an Oscar for Anna and the King. She was in Cat and the Canary. She was in The Black Cat in 1941. Are we seeing a trend in the people that were cast in this? Definite theme. She was in one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh-huh. Uncle Spooky, when you were alive, you grew up in the New York area, right? Oh. Uh-huh. 11.30, Sunday morning, WPIX Channel 11. Uh, they always showed Abbott and Costello movies. Right. She was in Abbott and Costello's Time of Our Lives, the one with the Revolutionary War ghost. She was the creepy housekeeper. That's the um, Rebecca housekeeper, Mrs. Danvers ripoff. Oh, I don't remember that one. Oh, it's the best one. I've got to send a copy for it. It's adorable. Is that where you goes down, somebody who goes down a well? Yes, that's the one. <laughs> That's the one that goes from the well. No, those are the best Sunday mornings. Yeah, she's she's just chewing the scenery, and they they. And you forgot the letter. Oh, the letter from George Washington. We're not talking about that movie. We covered that movie already. <laughs> no, they, no, but she was in it, wasn't she? I mean, like she was like the. She was the she housekeeper like the, who held the seance. No, 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 no. She wasn't she the chick, the the Chinese kind of looking broad who kills Betty Davis in the letter. Oh, the letter. I haven't seen the letter. I'm sorry. I, I There's a letter in Time of Our Lives. It's very important. I didn't realize we jumped. I no, it's like seen a the famous letter. movie. Where, yeah, uh, I know the movie you're talking about, but I haven't seen it. I don't know. She's got a... Is she, she in it? She's in it, right? I, I think I saw that on her IMDb. I'm not sure. The fun, the interesting thing, too, about her, too, is that she was... 
barred. She was blackballed for 20 years. Yes, because she wouldn't testify. She would not think out her people for, for being communist. And paid for it big. She didn't work for 20 years. This, she was just starting to work again. And I did not know this about her. She was almost the Wicked Witch in The Wizard of Oz. Is she the one that they show? They would they were going if they were going to go prettier. They were going to go with her. That's the one. They they're going to go with Glamour Witch. It was going to be Gail Sandegal. Oh, amazing! I just saw something on that, and they watching all about her. I think she had some good lines in it. She chews the scenery of every scene that she's in, and it's so much fun. She works a bead curtain like nobody's business. Oh, girl knows how to make an entrance. <laughs> every freaking time. <laughs> she milks every line for every syllable that it's worth, too. She has a little clipped voice. So just, I know I'm so much more talented than everybody here. <laughs> she's amazing throughout the whole thing. And she, and she really does. She hits on both women. And she's got a couple of uh, lesbians in the shop, too. Too, right? Oh my God! That's what I was meant to say. But Curtis Harrington is also famous for stocking his movies with his queer character actor friends, and they are loaded in this movie. Yes, right up front. <laughs> there is a point in the shop that Uncle Sp- Uncle Spooky, please tell us what it's happened. Loaded like, up, the, like she's she's flirting with somebody, and then they kind of do a pan around the thing, and there's like a blonde, two blondes, like one's super fam, one's super butch. As a matter of fact, at first thought, I thought it was like a guy. Yeah, and then she turns around. You're like, oh, that's not a guy. That's a bull dyke. And I was like, did they really just go there? Did they just go there in 1973? They went there. They absolutely did. He's like, I'm leaving all this shit in, just not pointing it out. I'm not going to say the word. <laughs> yeah, he they totally gets away with it. And they don't know. He totally gets away with it. But when I say her that she's a bull dyke, I am not using that in the a derogatory word because that is what she would have been called. There was that classic look mm-hmm. that you don't see much anymore. She looked like she stepped off the cover of a 50s pulp novel. Yes. With a big pompadour and her cigarette that was hanging out of her mouth. She's great. She's great. I loved her. I wanted more of her. But I'm like, I want to see that movie. What movie are they in? There was still a lot of good characters and a lot of little bit characters that come and go fast. And they were one of them. Since we're jumping around a bit, Curtis Harrington was so pissed off that they wouldn't let him say the word lesbian. that They would not let Hester Black live her best life. That he's like, fine, fine. How about instead I give you a midget hooker? <laughs> the movie stopped. But I don't know what that scene was about. John Carradine's in it. I don't ever. I'm like, who's this? Who is this? Who's this? Who's this drunk hooker and a midget hooker in a hat? And I'm call- I know I'm supposed to call her a, a, a little person sex worker, but it's 1973. <laughs> and I love when whenever the, when the scene she's in and some shit hits the fan and they all go running, they leave her up on top of the counter. She's like, hey, somebody get me down. I'm like, who got you up? There's not a step. There's nothing. Who hurts you up there? Just she's amazing. She's got one line. She looks at the and she's like, hey, I didn't want to drink. I love her. <laughs> Hi, big boy. You want a drink? Be quiet, Mayfield. Uh, hey, big boy. She calls him big boy. <laughs> she does. And they all are. She's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, so good. So good. She's a little piece of perfection, I got to say. Yeah. And come, out of nowhere, perfect. She shows up, does her thing, fucks off, never comes back again. I will never forget her. I'm like, her, her mm-hmm. whole outfit. Like, she's in a 1920s outfit. I don't know where she came from, but I'm glad she's here. And you know what? And if you notice, she's working a little uh, little leopard print there, sticking with the cat theme. Oh, yeah. How about that? Mm, there's How a about- lot of that going on. Everybody's got like a, I'm looking at you, too. You got a cat pillow. What? And I'm wearing, <laughs> I'm wearing my spooky cat shirt. Uh, just in that's case, a great shirt. Just in, case, uh, just in case you work, you know, a cat creature that they would jump off and attack you. In case secret <laughs> agent Boots isn't around because she's, you know, a secret agent. She's got 
She's, she'll be creeping around. I, I can talk time. about it, but it's classified. Sorry, I can't. <laughs> I'll, let it, I'll let you know if she comes up behind you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Can't reach her. But there's a lot of, are we, are we jumping around or are we go, going straight through? I kind of just wanted to talk about like the opening a bit because like the opening itself is great. Like the whole first 10 minutes are great. It's like a nice little mini Very, movie. And then we can uh, what's jump the around. word I'm Ambiance. Ambiance, yeah, because like... I was actually going to cover a different movie from 1979 called She's Dressed to Kill, which is like an Agatha Christie on a mountaintop with models getting murdered at a fashion show. And it's Uncle Spooky. It sounds it's got everything I love in it. And yet the movie's terrible, but it's supposed to be suspenseful, but everything's so flat and there's no shadows. It like it wants to be this, but they don't know how to do this because they used to too used to work in TV, but Curtis Harrington knows how to work the shadows and dark and light. And so he, he, the movie looks good at certain points, especially in his opening scene. But now I want to get into the scene where we met what's a Sherry Deadmate who works. Oh, did oh you, Sherry Deadmate. Did you know, did you notice? Okay. I have to pull. You know, did you notice? How happy she was with her boss. Is that, but did you notice that the sorcerer shop is right next to a titty bar, 24 hour titty bar? No, I did not notice yeah, that. Yeah, I've got photographic proof, but I would pull up. But <laughs> I meant to have it set up beforehand, but I ran out of time. But yeah, it's, and man, <laughs> in my mind, Hester Black is running both businesses. That's what's on the other side of that curtain. I get them working as my shop. Once I get them ensnared in my clutches, I make them dance for my pleasure. 24 hours a day, because I'm Hester Black, and I talk like this. <laughs> She's all over it. She's all over Sherry. Dead meat Sherry. Yeah. Relax. Our working day is over. You're right. And I'm going home. Well, what's the rush? Aren't we going off for a bite to eat? I'm tired. <laughs> I presume you have a date tonight. No. And I don't have any bread either. In case you forgot, it's payday. Oh, of course. Because the first time I watched it, I'm like, man, why is Sherry so unhappy working here? It seems pretty cool. And the other one's like, I thought we were going to dinner. Uh, you want to ride home? <laughs> Just... All, All up the her. grill. And then she's like, no, I'm going home. It's payday. Can I have my pay? Can I have my money? And she's like, oh, I suppose you have a date. And she's like, no, I don't have a date. <laughs> I just don't want to be here. And then she mutters, uh, fed up with that Hester, the way she acts. Well, she's relentless, dude. She's like, I really think it's too late for you to be walking home alone, dude. She's like, you know what? Three blocks isn't going to kill me. Oh, Sherry. Want to ride home? I'd rather walk. You really shouldn't be walking alone this time of night. Don't worry. Three blocks won't kill me. You know what? <laughs> wrong. <laughs> wrong. So wrong. That walk home is great. From the minute, like, it's a, you can tell it's a commercial break. It comes back from commercial, and it's just her working out the door. And then it's like, there's no music. It's just this wind. Out the back door, so it's all the dark alleys of Los it's Angeles. It's just a footstep, some wind, and some, like, Cats knocking over garbage can. Loud garbage can knock over scenes. Kitty. Hey, what are you doing out so late? Oh, no collar either. No wonder you're knocking over garbage cans. You hungry? I get the message. Come on. Come on. Then she goes and picks it up. Takes it home. She's like, oh, kitty, it's so cute. I'm going to take you home. I'm like, rabies, fleas. 
Maybe. Oh my no, God. honey, no. I mean, I'm a cat <laughs> lover, as everybody knows, but even I'd be like, mm. Mm, no, I'll come get you some food and put, bring it back, but you ain't coming to my house. There was plenty to eat in that garbage can that tipped over. There was lots Her apartment building is fabulous, too. That exterior was wonderfully yes. picked because it, it's goth. I, I don't know how she's affording to live there. All of them were living in good. The other one had a great place, too. I think she killed people to get that. Yeah, for sure. The other one, this one, I don't know how she got it. But yeah, it doesn't matter. But yeah, she takes the cat home. And it's lovely. It's just lovely to see. You think, you think in another movie, this is our heroine. Okay, kitty. Welcome to Shangri-La. Sit down and make yourself at home. Hey, peace, baby. Give me a chance to stash my loot. Two more weeks, kitty. Now I'll have enough saved to buy some wheels and cut out of here. Fed up with Miss Hester. The way she acts, she thinks she owns me. Hey, kitty. Hungry? I'll go see if we have some caviar in the refrigerator. Sorry, fresh out of caviar. We'll just have to settle for milk. No milk? Hey, don't tell me you're a champagne freak. What's that on your fur? Looks like blood. Uh, I was kind of rooting for her. She does nothing wrong. She's very sweet. Though everything turned, everything turned Uncle Spooky because she did this thing that Hollywood loves to push. That's a total lie. Sorry, honey, I don't have any caviar. How about I get you a saucer of milk? Don't do that. Cats are lactose intolerant. She's going to get diarrhea everywhere. Okay, where, and where's that going? She's wearing her faux kitty litter box. She doesn't have nothing prepared. She's got, no, she does not. No, she does not. That cat's going back out in the street after that meal. Oh, so she got this cat home and what happens? Uh, she, she gets the stare down from the cat. She gets this... Uh, Hypno kitty. Hypno kitty. <laughs> she gets catmatized. <laughs> This was a cheap effect, but it worked. It was still effective. I mean, they're just shining a light. In the it's not just the eyes. The mouth moves a, moves a little bit on the cat. Does this like murmury thing? <laughs> like they get, it's like stop shining that flashlight of my eyes. Whisper, whisper, whisper. Ow! And then, uh, <laughs> and then, what happens? She gets catmatized, takes a walk to the balcony, and and a mannequin falls off the ledge. Yes. An amazing mannequin. I was watching that, and it was a. It's a. And from the outside, it's a great looking apartment building. Yeah, like that must still exist, right? Yes, it does. I had the name for it. And I don't have it in front of me now, but you know, somebody's lucky has that apartment. Okay, so now I don't want to get into things too much. I want to get into because now it's all this investigation into this mysterious death, as well as the theft of the amulet, and we get to meet our two. Two middle-aged male, Roger and Officer Marco, Detective Marco. David Hedison plays Roger, who's a professor of Egyptology and also a romantic lead. He was in The Fly with Vincent Price. He was in Live and Let Die. He came back to play the same character in License to Kill. Uh, and he was a regular on Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Amazing. The thing is, he looks so much like Stuart Whitman 
who plays the detective Marco that for the first part of the movie, I couldn't tell them apart until I realized that Stuart Whit- Whitman's eyebrows are insane. Like that's how I tell them apart. Yes. Yes. And one of them is one of them looks like he smokes a lot more. Yes. One's a little bit older, <laughs> but it was kind of like when couples are dating for a long time and they start to look like each other. I'm like, these two yes. are totally dating. They're going to be dating. I really soon. There was, there was, but, I didn't see a spark there, but there, was, there was just a lot of talking. Hold on. Hold on. I found some sparks. <laughs> <laughs> Stuart Whitman. He was fresh off. Fresh off that 1972 mega hit, Nine of the Lepus. <laughs> he was in a, uh, Toby Hooper's Eaten Alive. He was in Ruby with that uh, Curtis Harrington directed uh, TV movies, uh, Cult of the Dead and Monster Club with Vincent Price. Sounds like a good lineup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have not seen any of those except for Ruby. He did tons and tons and tons of Westerns and war here, uh, war stuff like in the 50s and 60s. And then the later part of his career, it was all horror. So good for him. Oh, you need to see Lepus. It's so terrible. Oh, that's a I great. It. I have it on D. I kept meaning to make it a movie night, but it has a, a Easter, I'm thinking. Easter. I showed it this past Easter, and people are just like, wow. Uh, maybe yeah, yeah, you beat me to it. Damn it. You know what? We have different crowds. They run in different circles. <laughs> it, you know, it, make, it, make it an Easter tradition. We'll trade off the Lepus. You take it this year, I'll take it next year. <laughs> Uh, but they, 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 they. Um, it's the scene of the, the, the scene of the, uh, the at the castle where this the lawyer had been killed, and that they're investigating that, and they bring him in because it's all this Egypt crap and this Egypt crap that's missing. It's like we need somebody who knows what the hell this is and why they somebody might have taken it. My name's Roger Edmonds. Are you a professor? That's right. But I wasn't sure whether you guys moonlighted on the job. <laughs> you don't know much about teacher salaries, do you, Lieutenant? I teach a course in archaeology. I asked the school to send over an expert on Egypt. Well, I'm afraid I'm all that was available. I'm not a specialist, but I do have a great interest in Egyptology. Egyptology, huh? Yeah, well, um, you know what happened here last night? I was told a man was killed, but uh, I don't get the connection. Uh, what do you want from me? I'm going to play a tape for you, and then I want to show you something downstairs. He goes, listen, Professor, I want to play a tape for you, and then I want to show you something in the basement. I want to play a tape for you. <laughs> the tape I want to play for you? It's You Are the Sunshine of My Life by Stevie Wonder. And then I want to show you something downstairs. I'm going to take it to the basement and show you my butthole. Standard <laughs> operating procedure in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> It's the uncut version. But the professor didn't take didn't take the bait. He didn't take the bait because you know he's got he's got his sights set. Because you know why? He's looking for pussy. He is. He is. He is because he's the one who notices that there's claw marks on the sarcophagus. Uh-huh. Oh, you fellas could read these inscriptions. Uh, it's not that simple. Besides, most of these have been defaced. It could be that uh, somebody didn't want this mummy identified. We found a chisel right here. The lab is running a check for fingerprints. Mm. I don't think this was done by a chisel. For instance, look. See these parallel scratches? They look more like uh, claw marks to me. This is one of you a detective. No, I'm not. But archaeology depends a great deal on detection. And besides, Agatha Christie's my favorite writer. It's like, that's weird. Yeah, it's just on the outside. It's like something was trying to get in. It's like cats hated it, which is an interesting twist you'll learn later. Which is why I said it's like sleepwalkers, because it's cats uh. they can see. The real cat creature, because the first half of the movie is all amulet, amulet, who's got the amulet. Mm-hmm. The second half is mummy, mummy, who's the mummy? The right. mummy is one of us! Ah. Thunderclap, <laughs> eyeballs going back and forth, darting around the <laughs> dinner table. <laughs> and there's really only one choice for who the mummy can be. 
Because Here's the thing. This is I said yeah. earlier that I hope. Okay, spoiler. It's Meredith Baxter. Who hasn't come into the movie yet, but it turns out she's the nice girl who's just come into town. She gets a job at the sorcerer shop. And then when the police start investigating and the murders keep getting closer and closer, the professor is getting, gets in a relationship with her and takes her under his wing. And we have to protect her. And it turns out she's been the yeah, killer all along. <laughs> she does a lot of hints though. There's a lot of hints. When she first walks, our first scene is the back of her. She's wearing a black pantsuit and she kind of caresses the sorcerer sign before she walks in. Yeah. I hope they never restore this because there's so many close-ups of her face. And the reason there's so many close-ups of her face is that they were giving the audience a clue that we can't see because our print is so faded. They gave Meredith Baxter bright green contact lenses. Uh, like the amulet. She had the same color eyes. Yes. Her eyes match her jewelry. Matchy, matchy, tacky, tacky. Blah. Can we talk about that <laughs> shop for a minute? That was the coolest shop. I would blow so much money in that shop. Okay, absolutely. Yeah. Blow right on. You can you can rake it in doing a shift next door at the titty bar and spend give it all back to Hester. Just an endless wonderful loop. Yeah, there was tons of great stuff in there. Meredith Baxter shows up, new girl in town. And she gets she gets Sherry's old job mm. at the sorcerer shop. I love this whole scene. She's like, well, I'm not really familiar with with Satanism or voodoo or witchcraft or anything like that. And Hester Black says, that's all right. Once you learn the stock, it'll just be like working in a delicatessen, except you can't smell the garlic. <laughs> <laughs> My customers seem to like it. Most of them are into witchcraft, black magic, Satanism. I'm, I'm afraid I really don't know very much about that sort of thing. Oh, no problem, my dear. Once you learn the stock, it'll be just like working in a delicatessen without having to smell the garlic. <laughs> right then, I mean, like this woman's insane. I quit her <laughs> Yeah, she's, I mean, she's totally, she's. But she's stunning. She's does something like I've never seen a more beautiful Meredith. 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 Even with the bad wing. And she's she's Meredith. She's she's always the nice girl. So you buy it. That's the thing with these TV movies. They always put people in the roles that they always play. It's in here. It plays. She's like, oh, it's, it's Meredith Baxter. She's always so nice. She's always got to be safe. It's, just, it's a little like a switch and bait, too. Like they, they took Sherry, who you thought was going to be, you know, because she was pretty. Sherry's out of the picture. And now they give you another pretty girl. And there's always a pretty girl in a TV movie. It's Robert Blocky, Janet Lee, Sherry. Oh, uh, yeah. bingo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good one. You're welcome. You're bait. welcome. Switching um, bait. What do you call that? Bait and switch. Bait and switch. The old bait and switch. Bangers and mash. I don't know. I got nothing. <laughs> when you're dead, your brain rots first. That's the thing. You keep Bartles your looks. James. <laughs> <laughs> James. But you still stayed pretty. That's the important thing, Uncle Spooky. He's, he's dead, but he's still pretty. Oh, what else? One of my favorite, one of my favorite conversations too. That is coded. Let me hear. Is when when the detectives show up at the shop tracing the amulet because uh, Key Luke, after he stole it, went directly to sorcerer. I can't say that. Help me out, Uncle Spooky. Sorcerer. Perfect. <laughs> 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 to try to pawn it off, and Hester, Hester Black's like, I wouldn't touch that with a ten foot pole. Where did this come from? It's a family heirloom. My grandmother died. Sorry about that. Look at the workmanship. A valuable antique. Solid gold. Those jeweled eyes. Emeralds. Well, get out. You can have it for a good price. I wouldn't touch it with a ten-foot pole. 
<laughs> yeah, she doesn't want it. She doesn't obviously, want it. She it's kicks obviously him out stolen. Get out. Uh, but then the, the cops show up. They're trying to chase him. They're like, well, we figure if he tries to pawn it, whoever stole it, stole it tries to pawn it, he'll, they'll tr- he'll try to pawn it here. And she's like, no, really, Marco. You know that's all over and done with. I'm straight. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And he said, straight. <laughs> well, you could sleep on a corkscrew. You're so crooked, you could sleep on a corkscrew. <laughs> oh, my God. That was a great line. <laughs> and she looks a little like... She, she gives great responses, too. Like, her face... She always looks like she's tasting something yummy, but doesn't want anybody mm-hmm. to know. <laughs> the story was phony. But the piece was genuine. It was about three inches wide. Solid gold. Emerald eyes. Big stones. Exquisite work. She, she does not waste the scene in this movie. If the camera's on her, she's giving it to you. Oh, she's serving all Hollywood face. And every time anybody brings up the amulet, she is like wetting herself. She's wetting herself. <laughs> she's getting juicy just thinking about it. Even when she doesn't want it, she's like, I really want it. I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole, but I pick it up with my puffy lips. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> And, and everybody's asking her to dinner. Everybody's asking Meredith to dinner. Oh, that was gross. Because this is oh, it's gross. Because granted, this guy playing, the guy from The Fly who's playing this love interest, he's a decent looking guy. He's twice her age. And it's Easily. creepy. The way they Easily. meet is creepy. Like they come up like, hi, somebody got murdered. And as soon as, like, as, soon as they walk out, they're like, hey, you want a date? Hi, Roger Edmonds. Remember me? Oh, hardly. Only a poor university instructor. Lieutenant Marco asked me to help him with his case. Did he ask you to follow me, too? Oh, no, 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 no. Coming back here was my own idea. You just seemed so upset, I just wanted to make sure you were all right, that's all. Thank you. You don't have to worry. Oh, worrying's my hobby. Teaching archaeology and Egyptology is just a job. Egyptology? Huh? The lieutenant wants me to help him decipher and identify the stolen amulet, if we ever find it. Do you think you can? You know what? That's a very complicated question. Now, I'll tell you what. Suppose I try answering it while we're having dinner. What do you say? All right. Thank you. Great. Come on. Okay. Yeah, but Hester's like three times her age. So I guess that was the time. Well, that's different because she's a predatory lesbian. It doesn't matter how old you are. She just wants to <laughs> but eat something. I think something back in the old days, you know, you were allowed to like exploit youth a lot more. Like it was just experience, you know, expected. Back when I was a child. Listen. <laughs> Alive, living child. Of all the sorcerers shop in L.A., she had to walk in a mine. <laughs> <laughs> so they're all trying to take her out to dinner, but the guy the guy wins. He, he wins. He a cool tiki bar. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You took a cat creature to a place with wicker furniture. Are you insane? <laughs> That's why she had such a good time. She's like, I'm going to come back and rip all this up <laughs> with my claws. I had, I guess I used to, I had a wicker laundry basket that lasted three days with Miss Moochie LaRue. She destroyed that thing. She ate Went right through it. Oh, oh yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> and these scenes with them are fun like in retrospect because he's throwing himself at her left and right and she's really not giving him anything. She's not saying Nothing. anything about herself. But he's so he's he's so into selling his own shit. He doesn't notice. He knows nothing about her. Okay, it's your turn. You tell me all about yourself. What do you want to know? Everything. Now you sound like a detective. <laughs> Lieutenant Marco is a good teacher. Well, let's see how good you are. What do you know about me? Well, um, he told me you're from the east. You know in town. Yeah. What else? You're quick, intelligent. 
And you're a loner. Now, why do you say that? Well, um, a teacher tends to analyze his students. You're the quiet type. You want to relate to people that actually are shy, right? And that's very surprising. Because you're warm. You're charming. And you're beautiful. Now, wait a minute. I never told you that. He didn't need to. But he's so he's he's so into selling his own shit. He doesn't notice. He knows nothing about her. Which must happen a lot on those kind of dates. I imagine. Uh-huh. I have to impress this young person and tell her how amazing I am. What I think is great, her face. This is something I noticed this this last time through this morning. Her face when he's telling her what he does, as explaining everything about Egypt, and her face is like, oh, please go on, please, t- please, <laughs> please mansplain Egyptology some more to me. And by then, you see, the Shashank. Olivian pharaohs believe that Bast was the daughter of Ra, the sun god. And for her shrine, they built a great city called Bubastis, the house of Bast. You know, you really do sound like a professor. <laughs> Meaning I don't know when to shut up. She's like, uh-huh. I'm a uh-huh. mummy. <laughs> I was there. She <laughs> knows she wants to correct him on a bunch of shit, but she doesn't. You know, she's gonna she's keep just it. like, sorry, I'm just not gonna say a fuck. She's like a cow. She, she's also just like a cow with its prey. She's just I'm gonna sit here and wait. <laughs> I'm just gonna stare at you with my big green eyes. Be like, are you dumb? Bam! Hypnotize you, <laughs> with my eyes. <laughs> then, then they have this amazing tarot card scene. Yes, I do. Just want to backtrack one thing. I love when they're walking home from the date and she gets scared of the pet shop. Oh, that's great. That is but great. To- What's the matter? Just a pet shop. It scares me. Why? Oh. I, I don't know. I don't know. Let's just go. So they walk past the pet shop and the cats all lose their fucking minds. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody thinks this is odd. He's like, wow, they must be really happy up on catnip. Sure. That's like, that looks like the worst cat shop ever, too. Like, who would go in there? Like, Give me that one. It was closed and the cats were out in the window. No, 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 no. <laughs> you don't do yeah, that. No. They were attacking each other. They're just going nuts. Of course, they're like, oh my God, it's Mary Bassett. <laughs> like, if you don't like cats, this is a, I guess, a good scary movie for you. I mean, it is cat scary. Uh huh. Kind of. Uh huh. But. <laughs> The people of the cat kill all kind of deserve it, so it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. So they have this meet cute, like the the, 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 the dueling the dueling storylines mm-hmm. are vastly different. In that, just keep me at the sorcerer shop. Keep me in this environment. Keep me with the women. The women are much more fun to watch. Oh my god, it dies when it's the two guys in the car that you could just go get go to the bathroom because they're just they're not even close. The way they're breaking it down with each other. No, no. And I'm like, just make out. Just make out. Pull over and make out right now. <laughs> I didn't want to see that. Not with these two. <laughs> Were they wearing wigs? Were those guys wearing wigs? You know what? It's so hard to tell in the 70s because so many of the cuts just looked like wigs. I think they both were. Something tells mm-hmm. me that they were. I mean, because they had those faces that looked like they shouldn't have had. You put a wig on that man and did not trim his eyebrows. This went through hair and makeup every day and nobody t- trimmed that shit. <laughs> nobody did anything. Uh, yeah, so so Key Luke finally gets hunted down by the by the cat creature, and he gets killed because he still got the amulet. Wait, who does? Key Luke, the, oh, uh, the thief. Oh, the guy. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. 
Because she's always there. She's always listening in whenever the cops are. They're, all, they're really bad. There's no cell phones. They're all having these big meetings right in front of her. Right in front so of Hester Black. Dropping. And she's also she's also got that Cheshire Cat grin whenever that's happening. She's like, just keep talking in front of me. I'm not I'm listening at all. She's kind of inching closer to the conversation, looking at pictures and stuff. Hester Black right, picks, picks, um, picks the guy out, out of the lineup. Picks out of a photo lineup. Who is he? Well, that's Joe Sutton. Part-time handyman, full-time wino. Three counts of breaking an entry. Last month, he was a gardener at the Drake Estate. Then he knew the place, how to get in. Mm-hmm. Why would he kill that appraiser? He'll explain that when we find him. Where do you look? Where do you look for a wino in this town? And he's like, well, oh, that's so-and-so. He's a... Part-time handyman, full-time wino. He actually worked at the Drake Estate as a gardener because he's a part-time handyman and a full-time wino. And there's only one place in town that I'm going to, I know where to find winos. Of course, with uh, John Carradine, who's a fucking wino in real life? (laughs) Oh my God. That was so nice to see him though. I'm glad he got a little bit. It is, but man, this is at the point where they would only cast him in really small scenes because he, he would give you the horror cred, but he couldn't remember his lines. I mean, I don't know what to say about that. I guess I'm glad they gave him something. Nobody noticed because he threw in a midget hooker in the same scene, so nobody paid attention to anything John Garrett had to say. Oh, you're right. As soon as the camera like opened up a little bit and you saw her, he was done. <laughs> Go back there. Yeah, so they find. I would have been so mad if I was him, like having to share a scene with that. I mean, that's a that's a scene stealer. Well, you at least have some balance to you because you're blue. <laughs> You'd think. I don't know what I don't know who to look at. That's why God gave you two eyes. One go that way, one go that way. <laughs> <laughs> Key Luke had killed it. Yeah, so uh, well, yeah, yeah. ripped to shreds. Ripped to shreds. Ripped to- yeah, yeah, yeah. Um my cat. Wrestling you- with a cat. There's a lot of that. It's a lot of wrestling with fake cats. Do you notice that? It's always this black one, then you're clutching it to your throat. Okay, have you? I might have to send this. Remind me to send this to you if I, I'll remember. I'll remember in editing. This is great, funny or die video. That's an interview with the guy whose job it is to throw cats at people in horror movies. No, I would love to see that. It's so funny. He's like, yeah, just like uh, I worked on Friday the Thirteenth Part Five. That's the one that doesn't have Jason in it. It's just me throwing cats at people for ninety minutes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of that in this movie. He, he did great work in this movie. He did great work. He's probably three years old, but he was throwing cats at people at the, even at the time. You wanted to talk about the tarot card scene. Oh, so the tarot card scene so set up because it's like like, it's like a showdown of kind of like level-headedness versus spirituality. Suppose I were to tell you that when I spread out the tarot cards last night, it foretold the death of Joe's son. Then why didn't you warn Lieutenant Marco? Because he would have laughed at me as you do now. I'm not laughing at you. But there is such a thing as coincidence. You can't ignore it. There is such a thing as fate, and you can't escape it. Suppose I were to tell you that I am spreading these ten cards for you, Mr. Edmund. Now, why this sudden interest in me? Because of your sudden interest in matters that shouldn't normally concern you. The amulet, the murders. You are part of the pattern now. What pattern? See for yourself. Here you are in your present position. Before. With the immediate influence over you, the devil. Are you sure you didn't stack this deck? Fate guides my hand, Mr. Edmonds. The third card represents your goal, the world. The fourth card, your distant past. The card below, your recent past. 
this one a reference to your future? The hangman. I'm sorry, I don't believe in capital punishment. Symbolism. And heaven is out, and she's she's laying cards H- down. Hester Black, we're talking about, yeah. Hester Black, and she's laying the cards down. The real obvious, the guy, and that's just there is. And you're the fool. And she's laying them all out, telling them how it's going to go. And then she lets him pick the last card, as always, as expected. It's death, which doesn't mean that horror movies always get this wrong. It's so annoying. <laughs> it's so annoying. The tower. I mean, it wasn't a good good read. I was looking at it. He didn't look like he was in good shape. He was not in good shape, but she sells all of this really well. All and the it. thing is, everything she says is right up until that last moment. I'm like, oh. well, somebody does die. Yeah, yeah. But then again, many people do. But that's not what it means. It means change. And he is he is about to have a huge change in his life too. So it's not wrong. <laughs> so it's two actors. It's a nice little duel moment between two people, and it's well done. I thought selling the shit. I play, I'm playing the audio for it, so they'll know how brilliant it is. You'll hear it. Then we go to the coroner. Okay. We're we're in a totally different movie for this conversation. <laughs> oh my god, one hundred percent. If you will note the bites and claw marks on the throat. The shape of the lacerations indicate they were inflicted by an animal the size of a domestic cat. A cat? If you'll examine the jugular vein. That's enough. I merely wanted to point out that these wounds are the same as those we found on the body of the appraiser. So uh, you think it might be it might be the same type of animal? The same animal? The bacterial cultures from the wounds of both victims are identical. Rabies? No indication. Then uh, what you're saying is that these men were killed and attacked by a common domestic cat. I'm not offering an opinion. My job is to give the evidence. Doesn't make any sense. One thing more, Lieutenant. The bodies of both victims were almost completely drained of blood. Milton Parsons, a queer character actor who made a career out of playing creepy undertakers. Oh my God! Can I, I mean, do that? They even have his eyes all hollowed out, so he looks like nobody else he looks has this very kind cadaver. of very, um, very, um, as well you cadaver. should have, very Uncle Fester. Uh, yeah, yeah. But the whole scene setup is amazing. Like it opens up with like this, you know, shadow dark room with a, you know, a tagged toe in the foreground. And this Lighting. is where we find this is where we find that the cat's not just ripping throats out. What else is it doing, Uncle Spooky? He's smearing cat hair all over them. Well, that yes, but something more important <laughs> that was than a that. Scary thing to me. <laughs> it never comes off. If it's like glitter, it never comes off. Never. You're dead, and you get cat hair forever. The bodies are also completely drained of blood. Uh, I forgot about that little nifty detail. <laughs> you heard of vampire bats? We've got vampire cats that are mummies. No, really, that's what we've got. Mm-hmm. That's what we've it's got. But this guy, this guy Milton Parsons, like he did, like he had like 198 film credits, and I couldn't keep really? up. But he was in the Haunted Palace with Vincent Price, Dead Don't Die Again with uh, Curtis Harrington. A lot of people wound up in that from this, so it's nice to see Curtis work use the same people all the time. But what's his biggest part? My, uh, Uncle Spooky. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Let me drink. Keep talking. A lady never tells. (laughs) (laughs) But my fan, I didn't recognize a lot of them as the thing, but he was in one of the, one of my childhood traumas, the Halloween episode of Little House on the Prairie with Uh, the Headless Horseman, where where they thought Mr. Olsen had murdered Mrs. Olsen, cut her head off. And it rolls down at the bottom of the- That's the one. That's the one. That was terrifying to me Uh as a kid. That was the best episode. 
I was so excited. I'm like, oh, that was the bed. I still have trauma about that. <laughs> you got scared by Little House on the Prairie. Yes. Yes, I did. They did good. They did get nearly good. Good. Good for them. Good for them. <laughs> we moving on. Then the, the, yeah. the, 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 the thinking that like they're trying to set Hester up. I don't think they set Hester up. I just think they're terrible police people. <laughs> but they're like, so the... Peter Laurie Jr. We're going to talk about him. Yes, yes. Um, they like the he he makes a phone call. The detective is at the sorcerer shop and calls the professor who is at Meredith Baxter's fabulous, spacious apartment. And by the way, I was like, you know what? After a long day of working at a mystical shop and murdering people left and right, I like to relax by kicking off my shoes and putting on a brown, narrow-inspired caftan. Ooh, that thing looks so heavy. And I kept waiting for it to knock over candlesticks with it. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, nothing against it. Look, I mean, your dashiki that you chose to wear is absolutely gorgeous today, Uncle Spooky. You're stunning, but you know, a narrow, a narrow and caftan in the same outfit and brown in Los Angeles, looking like it was made of wool. I'm like, what's happening like here? A whole tray of like silver, silver setup. Easily, I mean, I kept waiting for a trip. Is this? Is she wearing the same thing at the end? She's got no. a little cat thing. No, it was different. No, you're right. She's, I don't remember. What, it, she was. She was. She was more voluminous. She was more. Uh, Diaphanous. Another cat like suit on at the end. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so they have an idea. But but no, the, the the detective calls. He's like, listen, the thief is is dead, but he had the a ticket to a pawn shop on it, so I know where the amulet is. I've got the pawn ticket. You've got the pawn ticket. We found it Joe Sung's left shoe. The poor Joker gave away the amulet for drinking money. He never realized how much he could really get for it. Well, the Egyptian government claimed the Drake collection was smuggled in illegally. They're considering a reward for the return of the amulet. $50,000. No questions asked. If they do, I figure you're entitled to a cut for the identification. Now, how about it, Professor? You willing to take a ride with me? That's a Hollywood pawnbroker. Santa Monica and Western. I've got one stop to make on the way. The county morgue. I'll see you there in a half hour. And you meet me there in half an hour. Here's the address. And Hester Black is sitting right there in a big Morticia <laughs> Adams chair. <laughs> Wicker. <laughs> Wicker. Just, just leaning in like her ear, like her left ear is like grown seven <laughs> sizes in size. Eavesdropping and making that yummy face. Like, mm, mm, but do you think back what? in 1973, they don't know? Is, is it still a surprise kind of that it's her? Or do you think you're onto it by now? I don't think it matters. I think, okay. he, I think, you're, supposed to, I think you're supposed to get there before he, he does. Hester Black's got that big thing on. And then he says the thing that really gets Hester's coach. He's like, the Egyptian government has found out about the robbery, and they're concerned about it, and they're offering a $50,000 reward for its return. And you literally see cartoon dollar signs light up in <laughs> Hester Black's eyes. So she doesn't fuck around, because I was pretty surprised when they go to the pawn shop and uh, filled with a bunch of stuff, amazing TVs and... Oh, I just want to take a moment and look, work at the logistics of this because he's like, I'm going to come pick you up even though I just gave you the address of the porn shop. So he, this detective drives all the way across town mm. to pick up the professor or wherever that is and then goes all the way across town to this pawn shop and somehow Hester Black did this, like, I picturing like a Bugs Bunny run where they go, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> she somehow beats them there. <laughs> oh, Lieutenant. Good luck. This and old lady just like zing across town. Stab, and, and you don't know it, but stabs this guy in the back. 
Peter Lorre Jr. is her victim, the owner of the porn. porn His I one keep scene. Wanting to say, I keep wanting to say porn shop. It's a porn <laughs> shop. <laughs> Porn shop. Uh, that sounds right. It's Victor Laurie, uh, Peter Laurie Jr., no relation. Mm-hmm. Died. The Peter Laurie was trying to sue him from using the name, and then he died, and they just went ahead and used it. Yeah, well, well that's the thing is once you die, in like in SAG, your name becomes available again. You can't have duplicate names in SAG because you're a product. You know, you can't, it's like you can't have two brands of Kleenex, like one's a tire and one's a be- bucket of tissue. You can't do that. And he has like so, a. Okay, he's got like a four-second scene and uses it every like a big hand kind of coming out of the curtain moment. He was a friend. He was another big queer friend of Curtis. Was he? So he's in the movie. Yeah, it's nice he gave him that moment. <laughs> yeah. Hey, if I'm gonna be killed in a movie, I want to be killed by Hester Black. <laughs> That's she's amazing. They don't really get that bit. super obvious though. I kind of had to felt like I had to put the pieces together on that. Like it wasn't until she showed up at the back at her own shop. Well, because the cat talk. was there. Do you see the cat? In the window of the punches, the cat was there. Yes. But he wasn't, he's got a knife in his back, so the cat didn't get him. That's because everybody's, the, the cat's always around that amulet. Somebody beat the cat. Hester Black beat the cat to the amulet. Yes. <laughs> oh, the other thing is that that people, that I've heard people complain about, like, it's so weird. Like, he's on the phone, the professor's on the phone with the detective getting all the information, and, and Meredith is just, like, all over him. <laughs> like, trying to kiss him and, like... Smooching up on him, like, of course she is. That's she's the cat for you. <laughs> that, and she's distracting him. Um, and maybe if I get close enough to this phone, I'll hear what they have to say. Because she's got special cat hearing, so what she does. So it's like, okay, get right. That. Anyway, <laughs> I, I really, was try- I was trying hard to justify everything in this movie because I mean, it is Robert Block. He knows what he's doing. Where are we? Where uh, we oh, are uh, now? Uh, with the uh, the the. the they're thinking Hester's going to come back to the shop, so they put a hot cop outside. Oh, you mean Officer Rough Trade? Oh, my <laughs> God. That was amazing. I'm like, I need a movie about him. Lurking in an alley in Levi 501's behind a titty bar? Come on now. <laughs> Getting catatized. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, what is he going to make him do? Oh. <laughs> oh, I can't believe I'm doing this. This is my first time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can't stop myself. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a wasted effort Nothing with him He just puts him to sleep He's there to guard Meredith Do you think she'll try and claim a reward? There won't be any The State Department recommended the Egyptian government to Withdraw the reward offer They felt it would encourage thefts of other relics From all over the world It was offered nothing and Hester's gone I don't think so There's an AP out Her apartment's staked out We've got a car in custody and even if she tries to leave town, that's going to take money. That's where you come in. I don't understand. Hester keeps cash on hand here at the shop, doesn't she? Yes, some. Well, she'll probably try to get a hold of it. I want you to keep this place open tonight. Just in case she comes back. What if she does? I'll put this place under 24-hour surveillance. You'll be perfectly safe, I guarantee you. So they thought that Hester was going to go back to her shop because she needed the money to get out of town after she killed the guy. And it was a little convoluted, but. Which is, exa- which is exactly what happens because Hester yeah. does come back to the shop and immediately gets catted. Uh. <laughs> 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 Did she, did she get cat? Did she, uh, 
She doesn't get catmatized, right? She just gets attacked. Oh yeah, she just yeah. The cat's not fucking around. It's like, listen, bitch, you got it. Yeah, it's a pretty. Good I can scene. see. It. I can see it. It's sewn into your cape. And where's Matt? I know, right? That's a hot, hot move. I just, I just love it. So, and I love it because like the detective and the, and, and Meredith Baxter come running in after she screams. Like Meredith's like, oh, what's happening? I, I was just in the other room. Yeah, <laughs> really. outside to check on something. Wiping blood off her face. <laughs> <laughs> And Hester, Hester Black is just sprawled over boxes. She's got money littered all over. And she just leans up and goes, Cat! Cat! <laughs> Dead last and, one. And, and dies to death. <laughs> and now I am dead. And the light went out of the movie for a while. My arm like, oh, no, a little bit, no. but then that's kind of when it takes off too. Because now we start getting cats in the backyard. Oh yeah, they're sniffing around. They're sniffing around Marilyn Baxter like nobody's business. Oh my god, they're crawling out everywhere. If you don't like cats, which is why I say when you say if you see sleepwalkers, you'll get this because it's the same thing. The the, the the monsters in that cats can see them, and cats were the only thing that can kill them. But cats hmm. claws. All right, so. maybe right. And all, so I always say, like, when, when I'm looking at my cat, I'm like, oh, I'm safe from sleepwalkers. Did Stephen King really write that, though? Yeah. But was it a short story or something? No, it was it was his first screenplay that was not based on anything previously uh, written. I think there's a book of it now. Uh, but she's like, oh, the cats. Uh, yeah, she doesn't like the cats. Uh, but you know what? You know who else doesn't like the cats in the backyard? The friggin' neighbors. <laughs> you know, like that piss... Watch, there's all those cats in the neighbor's backyards again. Either a lesbian has moved in or it's one of those Egyptian cat people. <laughs> one or the other. But that's, you know, that's what happens when you rent out a room to a girl you don't know. Yeah. So the thing is that now, too, that the the, the cops have the amulet. And the, the professor trying to decipher it all. So a, that this is really long and really boring. But there's some good lines in here. There's some good lines in here. Like, um... He goes and sees the professor, like the professor's professor, like the uh -huh. professor above him who knows more about Egyptology. He's got some great stuff. He's like, listen, there's something about this amulet. Like normally the followers of Beth, because this whole thing, they figured out like this, this sarcophagus was of a high priestess of to the god Bast, who is the cat headed god. And this professor saying, yeah, it's weird because normally uh, Bast is depicted either full body cat or a cat with a human body. But this amulet is just a head. Well, as you and I both know, in Egyptian art, Bast is always portrayed in one of two ways, either as a cat with a human body or a complete cat figure. This is just a cat's head. Does this strike you as being peculiar? Yes, it does, now that you mention it. A head without a body cannot move. This heavy chain, what does that suggest to you? A prisoner? Exactly. You know, this amulet was never used for the worship of Bast. It was made for another purpose, to hold something captive. A head without a body cannot move. Look at this heavy chain. Look at this heavy chain. Whatever this was, was supposed to keep something in place. This is where they find out that they woke something up. They got, yep. they got a weapon. Yeah, the professor's like, well, no, this is stupid. That's just legend. He's like, listen, honey, behind every universal legend lies a universal truth, boo. I almost wrote that line down, too. The followers of Bass could turn themselves into cats, gain immortality by drinking human blood. Oh, yes, I know that legend. Vampires turning to bats in the wilds of Transylvania. Man assuming the shape of wolves in Germany. Foxes in China. 
In Africa, men turn into leopards. The Arctic Eskimos believe that their wizards are transformed into bears. More legends. Maybe. But why is it that since the beginning of time, people of every culture, living 10,000 miles apart with no possible connection, have always held the same belief? That in certain conditions, man can take the form of an animal. You know, behind every universal legend lies a universal reality. It's easier for me to believe in a human murderer. Somebody who's trained an animal to kill. Well, maybe you'll find the answer when you've deciphered that inscription. Well, wow, that's really interesting. Can you, can you transcribe the, can you tell me what the uh, hieroglyphics mean? And the guy's like, no. He's like, what? But you've traveled east so far. He's like, listen, honey, the, the furthest east I've traveled is Pasadena. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great line, too. I was uh, under the impression that you traveled extensively in the east. My dear boy, the farthest east I've ever been is Pasadena. <laughs> that guy was in everything. John Abbott. Who's he? He's a character actor who, like, over 200 credits. Do you like, got a you've name? seen him. John Abbott. Oh. He was the voice of Wolf in the Jungle Book, uh, Disney's Jungle Book. He was in the musical Gigi. He was in so many things I couldn't keep up. Like, when I see that many credits, I'm like, I can't. Like, I scanned for horror. I didn't see anything. I'm like, moved on. Scanning for horror. But yes, he's this wonderful snooty professor. And I'm not gay, by the way. So <laughs> well, at least he had a wife, but that doesn't mean anything. The cat sounds. So we, we back to the cats. You, you go, you go. Sure. Where, where are yeah. you? The cat sounds are so effective. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, I know damn well that most of the time for these te- made for TV movies, that cat sounds and wind sounds, like wind sounds, are usually somebody going, <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. I could have totally got a paycheck for that. The cat sounds were probably human too, but they're doing a really good job. Whoever's doing it's doing a good job, and it's very Agreed. effective. What I was going to say, what happens at this time when, when he gets this, tra- he finally translates the, the Egyptian hieroglyphics, which is Beware the seal of Kurupset, for he who dares to remove it will open the gates of hell. He gets mm-hmm. a call from the detective going, Hey, guess what? Your girlfriend doesn't exist. There are only two people who knew what we did. One was Hester, and she's dead. The other is Rena. Rena? I've been running a check on Miss Rena Carter, or trying to. There's no record of her anywhere, not a trace. She just shows up out of nowhere. We feed her all the necessary information. We talk about the thief. We talked about Hester. She knew just where to go and what to do. But it doesn't make sense. I'm picking her up right now. Maybe she'll give us that answer. Now you hold on to that amulet, pal. She's got no history. She's got no social security number. She does not exist. It's her. This is a really good scene after that. Lieutenant Marker's on his way here to arrest you. What? Don't you see? Everything about you adds to Marco's suspicions. No previous address, no social security number. A girl who covers the tracks. A girl who stopped at the shop, not by accident, but with deliberate purpose. Marco thinks that you destroyed everyone who stood between you and that amulet. That's impossible. They were killed by a cat. I know they were. It's written on the amulet. You found it? Yes. That amulet is placed on the mummy's throat for the same reason a stake is driven through a vampire's heart. To keep it from rising and resuming an unnatural life, nourished by blood. So... When the thief removed the amulet, the mummy revived? That's right. Vampires seek their prey in the form of bats. The follower of bats took the shape of a cat to kill for blood and track down that amulet. And once that amulet is destroyed, this creature 
can live forever. So then, cat creature is really the mummy of the high priest of Bast? Narena. Not a priest. The inscription on the amulet identifies the mummy as a priestess. No wonder you're afraid of cats. They recognize you for what you are. The priestess of Bast. No, you don't know what you're saying. Of course you have no past history. All you know of today's world is what you drained from the mind of Hester's clerk when you hypnotized her and sent her to death. When, when she kind of like lays all her cards out on the table. And I'm kind of on a side. She won me over with that argument. She's like, I was in a coffin for like 30 million years. It's all black. It's cold. It's a, you know, you know, it's and just, I was aware of every second of it. Every second, which sounds like horrible. And, she, and then they're like, well, you killed all those people. And she's like, I killed them for self-preservation. How can I make you understand? You don't know what it's like to be buried away alone in the darkness. Century upon century of blackness. not murder whatever it was those people are dead but i'm alive don't you see what that means to be able to see and touch and love to feel joy and desire now i meant it when i said we could go away together It's like after 3,000 years to see and touch and love, I feel joy. I feel pain. I feel sunshine mm -hmm. and rain. But mostly I feel love. It was, it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. She did all the disco and then she tries, and then she gives him like She gives this like a middle-aged man possibility of immortality. Like, it's really, it's too late for you, buddy. You don't want to go through university of life looking like that. But she gives it to him. She, she offers him that, which I always think is a nice thing to do. I'm offering you eternal life. You're offering me eternal death. Yes, 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 yes. great stuff. You're asking me to become what you are, to kill for blood. I'm offering you eternal life. What you offer is eternal death. I won't let you go. Because the thing that we, we find out through the course of the movie is that it's not just that she's a high priestess and that she's a mummy. Like this, this particular sect of best they were able to transform into cats and human sacrifice kept them alive and they drank blood. So th this professor that we met before, the one who never been east of Pastinese, like it's no more absurd than vampires turning into bats. Why not cats? Rhymes. If bats can drink blood, like wolves drink bleed, depending on where you are in the world, the legend changes. And here, this is what it is. It's vampire cats. He made a good argument. He did make a good argument. Then he fucked the phone. He's like, now get out of my office. <laughs> Five cents, please. <laughs> so she, so he turns her down. She doesn't want an immortality. And she does the cat thing. She tries to catmatize him. Yeah, catmatize. Yeah. And the, <laughs> the, the poor man is stumbling around that apartment with that dummy cat. doing a, Really doing a good job selling it. 
I was looking at the tail. I was paying attention, looking at the tail of that. The tail was the giveaway. Sometimes it was a real cat. Sometimes it wasn't. The tail was the giveaway. But he, but him wrestling with it didn't look stupid. Like sometimes you're like, oh god. Oh no, he was he was okay. good. He was a pro. He was see, he was selling the shit out of it. And what, what happened? What if it was a, a stunt man? Because they don't really show his face, and he's going over tables and stuff, right? Possible. Yeah, very mm-hmm. likely. And he's old. He's old. He's in his forties, for God's yeah, sake. Or then it's the seventies. You're gonna be twenty nine. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> He aged very quickly back then. Yeah, so yeah, the cat's attacking him, and what does he do? He gets the necklace and throws it around the cat's neck. Yeah, he sure does. He lassoed that pussy. He lassoed it down. (laughs) He sure did. (laughs) And what happens? This is the best part. (laughs) Then she she, she does this little turnaway thing, and then she kind of comes back in, like, Egyptian blackface. Am I wrong about that? But she's got her tan body stain on. She's got her gold lame fabulous wingy outfit. She's got Cher's wig on. She's got white, white teeth. And she's hissing at her. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Because, because it must have been a great moment. And it's it, it, it literally just a moment. You don't see it for long. I'm like, that must have been the most expensive piece of costuming in this whole thing. And you only see it for a couple of seconds, but it's really effective. She's scary looking. Yeah, she they waited, they waited to the end to play that card. Yeah. But then what happens? Well, then I don't know what she's thinking here because she's got the, the thing around the neck and she decides to go outside where she does this little glow thing and then turns into the old mummy from the from the beginning of the sarcophagus. And then the cats. Cats come from all over the place. Cats are dropping on her like flies. Like somebody <laughs> is throwing cats at her from all directions. Well, I'll send you that video. You'll know. <laughs> you know, know. And she just gets ripped to shreds. Didn't make yeah. sense, though. I was like, why didn't cats like her? I thought she would have been like the king of cats, the queen of cats. They know what she is. She's the bastardization of them. Fuck that. They're like, we're the coolest thing on the planet. You're not going to come around here. Oh, yeah. And like start, the, yeah. Stealing, start stealing my treats. <laughs> <laughs> Using my litter box. No, honey. No. You don't kill people. People give us food. All right? Mm-hmm. No good. You no, I got that. Like, I, I thought it was weird. I said the same thing initially that you said. I'm like, why is she wandering around? Why is she going outside? She's going to get ripped apart by cats. Oh, she wants to get ripped apart by cats. Because uh, she doesn't want to turn. She doesn't want to go back. I don't blame her. She doesn't want to spend another 3,000 years waiting to see and touch and love and knit and get hit on by predatory lesbians and drink my ties at a tiki bar. She don't want to wait for that. No, no. No, too bad. I mean, I feel like she could have got away. She had the chunky jewelry on. You cannot yeah. escape that 70s chunky jewelry. It was very heavy. And if it's cursed on top of that, no way you're getting away from that. The detective shows up and he's left for, for a little moment of like, blah, blah, blah. This is the denim on. Nobody gets arrested here. And like, she's over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's over there. That pile of dust and skull. Here's, here's a broom. <laughs> and then they do this great, like, final credit scene where they just stay on it. I, I don't know if we talked about the font. Oh, <laughs> I did a screening of this last week and somebody in the chat said, oh my gosh, even the font is scared. <laughs> this great gooey green. Gooey green that when it ever came up, it came up shimmering like it was coming up from water. I'm like, this yes, is so I cheesy. Love I love it. But so, so perfect. I'm a, big fan, I'm a big fan of font. Yeah. And then they, like, they would never do this today. The way they just stay on it. Yeah. The skull on the ground, like with the dust blowing in the wind. Yeah, like it's still going. It's like still filming. And then it's still quiet on the set. <laughs> then we don't get music at the end. We get fake Egyptian chanting. 
I kept thinking if they would play this, if they did play this today, you know how like the end of the movie, they really speed up the credits? Yes. And we're thinking of, <laughs> that's everybody. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Spooky, you broke me with that one. So that's the cat creature. That is the cat creature. Just the one. Just the one. Well, you know what? We don't need any more. That's enough of them. But I think you might be right about that Stephen King thing. Going through it like that does sound like there's some similarities. I guess I yep. do owe you five dollars. Five American dollars. Don't try to be slipping me no Canadian <laughs> bullshit. No. No. No loonies, no toonies. None of that shit. No, I love Canada. You'll get it. Maybe someday. How's your foot? My foot is fine. Um, the boot was off, came off last week. You go dancing if you wanted to. I've got three months of physical therapy. No, mm. <laughs> no, the, the bone's fine, but apparently there's significant soft tissue damage that has to be. Oh, softy. It has to be rectified. Oof. Is it still hurt? It's sore. Mm. It's not really pain. It's just kind of a dull ache all the time. Nobody cares. Tell like nobody cares. How you doing with those stairs? The stairs are fine. Doing fine. Doing fine. Yeah. Once I got the boot on, the stairs weren't as bad. Nobody cares. Oh yeah. But, but, but trying to do that with the with the crutches and it was oh like my bullshit. god, that must have been horrible. There's no yeah. elevator. Uh, pre-war building. Oof. What floor? Are you trying to get give out my information so that people hunt me down? <laughs> and, floor and, I wonder. And I'm like I'm not like Meredith. I'm like Rena. You are like Rena. <laughs> Hypnotize me with your sexy blue flesh. (laughs) So, you know, this movie, I was always watching it. It kind of reminded me of this book I read once called The Amulet by Michael McDowell, which is kind of amazing. It's kind of, he's dead. He's long dead. It's like an 80s horror author during the heyday. We just look at the 1979. And it's anybody who has this amulet uh, goes on a killing spree and then kills himself. And it's super gory. And uh, it's worth checking out. Hmm. Poppy Z Bright liked it. She gave it a nice little cover. Michael Michael McDonald. Michael McDowell. Michael McDowell. Okay, it's I like remember. You know what? I remember Gothic. the name rings a bell because I used to always think, isn't that the guy who sings like yeah, I'm a beater? That guy. That's Michael McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> it's Michael McDowell. Got it. Michael okay. McDowell. He wrote a bunch of shit. I don't know if you know of any of it. Uh, Black. He wrote the Blackwater series. No, I know yeah. the name's familiar. I must have had something, but that was a million years ago, Uncle Spooky. Yeah, he's a great, a he's a really good ago. writer, and then it was a fun book. Like I could totally see it as a movie. Yep, as this so, movie. Yeah, and the thing is, what I love about these movies now is that back in the day, okay, they're an hour and fifteen now. Most of them, these early ones, which meant there was forty-five minutes of commercials, Uncle Spooky. Jesus Christ! Right, <laughs> just stretch that out. But the problem is that I'm discovering with the later ones, like like this one I tried to watch, I just told you about before, uh, She's Dressed to Kill. It's an hour and 47 minutes. Oof, of, of with, not enough, with not enough stuff to fill it up. And the thing is, you think it's got everything. It's got, it's got a boozy grand dame. It's got a predatory lesbian. It's got bitchy queens. It's got murderous makeup. Everybody's getting killed by their makeup, like this poison in the makeup or the hairspray explodes or this nerve gas in it. And so I'm like, this, this should be up my alley. <laughs> it needs a remake. And it just lays there like, 
that's the worst. That was a yeah. problem with the seventies TV movies. Like some of them just don't take off. Because you know exactly what the executives were thinking. We're going to run this once. We're going to run it again over the summer, and then nobody's ever going to see it again. There's no way in hell that someone will be talking about it in forty years. <laughs> Little did they know. And here we are. Well, thank you for joining me on this flight, Uncle Spooky. I think we've arrived safely at our destination. Ooh, it was a smooth landing. I got to tell really you, it really was. It was smooth. It was just as smooth as, as Hester Black sliding into her assistant mm. shopkeepers. <laughs> <laughs> Taking a couple of bags of nuts on the way out. And thanks for having me. Because it's 1973, they're still allowed. I, <laughs> I fly this airline again. <laughs> You're welcome back anytime, Mr. Spooky. We'll get you on the main show as well. Okay, before you go, Uncle Spooky, where can people find out more about you and follow you and find out what's going on in Uncle Spooky's land? Well, oh, the only place you can do it today is on Instagram. I've heard of this. Yes, and you, you know, just type in Uncle, Uncle with a K. Spooky, and you look for the blue-faced guy, and then, you know, usually I'll put up a thing about a movie I'm going to show or where it's going to be. It's kind of the only plan. I'm not too, um, what's the uh, futuristic uh, with the things and know what to do, how, uh, with, you know the t- I mean? with, with the talk ticks and the, and the face yeah, oh, pages. Yeah, yeah. And- I might get lost in the source, so I'm, I'm hanging on to that Instagram with fangs. Are you going to be doing your, like, watch parties again? I ones? think so. I got to start okay. that up probably by November. I hope for sure it's going. Yeah, because if you can't see Uncle Spooky here live, because he has his gig in Brooklyn, he's got, you know, does gigs around town. He does do occasionally watch parties online. So please follow him. They're fun. He doesn't right. know the movies, but that doesn't take away the fun. Because one of the best things, okay, Uncle, I've told you this before, Uncle Spooky. My favorite thing about watching movies in Zoom with Uncle Spooky is that he doesn't turn his camera off and watching his face, watching the movie is better than the movie often. <laughs> and sometimes I do get, I'm a, I'm a screamer, so if there's, there's a good scene in a movie. He is. <laughs> he doesn't turn his mic off either, so there's sometimes like just yummy noises where he's like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> so I try oh, not to talk too much through the movie. You don't talk, nice but you make on the side. You make pro- yes, but if it's on if it's on Tubi, we'll have wonderful chats, like condensed chats during the commercial breaks. So you will be like another, movie, another commercial for phone shit. I know. Uncle Spooky, always ha- on Uncle the Spooky phones. hates phones. Uncle Spooky hates phones. I don't know what's uh, about phones. Doesn't like people communication. Let's just stay right here in 1973 with the pawn shop and TVs and big heavy tape recorders. And nothing beats a great bear legs, Uncle Spooky. Thank you for joining me on this flight. Take care of yourself. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon, Patrick. You're a lot of fun. Attention passengers, we have begun our final descent back into the present day. We hope you have enjoyed your journey into the 1970s tonight, and if you did, we hope that you'll join us on our charter excursion next month when we'll be traveling to 1976 to battle the monster of Walnut Grove. Thank you again for joining Uncle Spooky and I in the cockpit tonight, and we hope to see you again real soon on It Came from the 70s. All right, that was super fun. Thank you so much once again to Uncle Spooky for joining me on this kooky, crazy flight into the past. I truly enjoyed having you on board. And hey, if you enjoyed Uncle Spooky too, then you need to be following him on Instagram. The 
information is down there in the show notes. And if you enjoyed him on the show, you are going to love him in person because you know what? You're only getting half the picture here. You're not getting to take in all of his gorgeous blueness. Whether you're getting to one of his live shows or whether you're hanging out with him at a watch party, you have not lived until you have faced his glorious blue deadness and the rotting, decaying, but still sexy flesh. And if you enjoyed The Cat Creature, if you enjoyed It Came From The 70s, if you love made-for-TV monstrosities from the 70s, and you liked what you heard on It Came From The 70s, then you should consider becoming a patron because that's the only place you're going to hear it for now. If the show takes off and I continue to enjoy doing it and I see a future in it, then yeah, someday it will go public. But right now, it's only on Patreon. And the same goes if you're a Friday the 13th, the series fan, because damn you, Uncle Lewis is still going strong. We are two and a half years into the show and we are having a ball. And later this month, I'm going to be reviving the final reel where I talk about what's been going on in the theaters. Because, oh boy, I have a lot to say about some things that have been out in the theaters lately. That people have a lot of opinions about reason big screen horror movies. And I got to get mine out there somewhere. And you're only going to be hearing it there. So if you want to become a patron, if you want to help support the show, if, if you want to keep things up to snuff on the technological level and on the sexy level, check it out. There's all kinds of tiers you can join for as little as $5 a month. You can be helping out the show. And getting access to all these cool perks. And by the way, I've added a new perk. Da, da, da. I tested it out a couple times over on Damn You Uncle Lewis. Squadcast, the recording software that I use to do these remote sessions, now has this feature where there's a backstage area where you could come and watch the show and not necessarily participate. You might come on and say hi if you want to. But if you just want to hang out with us and watch an episode get, get made, you can do that if you're a patron. This is the formal announcement, by the way. I was just testing it out before, but now we're going to try it out. You can come sit in on Damn You Uncle Lewis. You can come sit in on AK from the 70s. And you can come sit in on the main show here if you like. If there's a guest that's coming on that you love and you want to hang out with them, fangirl out over them, then you could do that in the privacy of your own home <laughs> while never having to turn on your camera or microphone by coming hanging out with us with this new perk. So existing patrons, if this sounds good to you, Drop me a line, slide into my DMs and social media somewhere and let me know and we'll set something up for you. And for the rest of you, what are you waiting for? Join the ranks of the Super Screamers because you will be in the coolest company. We've got brand new, we've got brand new inductees to the cool table of Super Screamers. We've got Mike Ryan in Vancouver and we've got Sandy Velotti as well. Hi, Mike. Hi, Sandy. You're cool. But it's not just these cool newbies you'll get to hang out with. Well, I'm talking about long timers, long haulers, people who have been in the Patreon game with me from the beginning. I'm talking about Chris Schaffer, Jay Culpa, Wendy Collier, Tara Gardner, Roger Jimenez, Tommy Morningstar, Trey Dean. These people have been on board from the beginning and they're not going anywhere. So come hang out with us at patreon.com slash screamqueens. Become a patron, support this show, and be extra fabulous. My beautiful screamers. For your Halloween episode, oh boy, do I have a treat for you. It's a little movie called I Had a Bloody Good Time at House Harker. It's a very funny vampire comedy. It is hilarious. It is charming. It is actually quite touching. But most importantly, it's really damn bloody. And it's available for free on Amazon Prime. It's also on Tubi, the Roku channel, and Plex. So go check it out and be ready to play when Halloween comes rolling along. That deal wasn't sweet enough. I'm going to be joined by those beard-affected boys talking about Michael Howie from Defender Radio and Christopher Gronland from Not About Lumberjacks. So not only is it going to be really funny, it's also going to get sexy and also really fucking weird. But you know what? That's exactly what you sign up for here. Am I right? Of course I'm right. Hey, if it's your first time here, welcome. Hope you had a good time. If you never want to miss an episode of Scream Queens, please like it, follow it, subscribe to it, whatever podcast listening app that you prefer. 
You'll never miss an episode, and you will be the coolest kid in town. And be sure to follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook at Scream Queens. I'm on Twitter at Scream Queens. I'm on Instagram at Scream Queens Podcast. And those are the perfect places to slide me those DMs to let me know what episode you want to be in the audience for, patrons, because we're taking this shit to a whole new level. So, until next time, my beautiful, beautiful Screamers, continue to make the world a more fabulously creepy place. And how do I do that, Patrick? Well, I'll tell you. You do that by following the Scream Queens Golden Rule. Fight or flight, survive the night, make it to the final reel. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay fabulous, and happy Halloween. All of the music for tonight's show, unless otherwise specified, has been written by Sam Haynes. You can find all of his music at www.bandcamp.com. Bitches! <laughs> Ew.